Welcome to 2024, and as we begin this new year, uh, I thought it would be good to go to God's Word, to the book of Romans, that speaks into a culture that has drifted away from what God intended it to be. Paul was eager and ready to preach the gospel, and so he did that to the Roman people, but in the midst of it all, he gave them some warnings of what happens in a culture when it moves away from God, how it takes a downward spiral along that path until eventually God has no choice but to bring judgment. I believe the book of Romans speaks to us today. So I hope you'll enjoy it as we dig in with these podcasts. Take your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter four. You're probably at the point by now that your Bible has just fallen open to the book of Romans and that's a good thing and it'll be more so as time goes along, and I want you to look with me in Romans chapter 4. Of course, uh, Paul is the author. He's the writer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's writing to the church that is at Rome. And after dealing with sin in Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2 and Romans chapter 3, where we've been told that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and that there is none righteous, no, not one. And we might come to Romans chapter 4 and say, well, we're going to go on and deal with sin. Now he makes a turn, the Holy Spirit leading Paul to make a turn to where he's not talking about so much our sin, but what do we do with our sin? A better question might be, what has God done with our sin? And so the Bible simply says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. It was reckoned to him for righteousness. It was credited to him for righteousness. It was imputed to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now, you I didn't know that until I didn't know this until this week that I, I read something this week that I, I did not know. Of course I know that Jesus Christ is the most often mentioned name in the New Testament. But the second most often mentioned name in the New Testament is not Paul. I might have thought that. It's not Peter. It's not James. It's not John. It's not Timothy. The, it's not Mary, the mother of Jesus. But other than Jesus himself, Abraham is more mentioned in the New Testament than any other name. So it's pretty important. He's a pretty important guy. And the pattern of his faith was just to believe, just to believe God. Uh, Abraham, what is your vocation in life? Well, I'm a, I'm a herdsman. I'm, uh, I have flocks, and I have cattle, and I have sheep. And what do you do, Abraham? Well, I, I take care of those things. Who are you, Abraham? I am a believer in God. That's who I am. Abraham believed God and was counted to him for righteousness. But I want, to, I want you this morning to think of me about these things, and about Abraham's faith, and how that Abraham's faith was true. It was true faith, absolute faith. Absolutely, he believed in God, absolutely trusted in God. His, his faith was true. All the way through, his faith was true. But us, we, like Abraham, are going to find that if our faith is true, our faith is also going to be tested. And Abraham's faith was tested, mightily tested. Over a period of time, a long period of time, it was tested. But then that faith that is true and that faith that is tested is also going to be a faith that is going to triumph. 
because Abraham's faith was a triumphant faith. And, uh, and if we, over a long period of time, are, are trusting our Lord and believing in God for our righteousness and going through testing times and hard times and difficult times, then we may come to something like what's recorded in, in Romans chapter 4, verse 20 and 21. Listen to these words and listen well. He, being Abraham, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he, being God, was able to perform. Now, it says he staggered not. Now, the word that is translated staggered is also a word that's translated wavered, and it might be better translated wavered, and that may be what some of your uh, translations say, that he wavered not. It's a judicial term. It's when a decision has been made, and you stand by the decision. Abraham wavered not from the time that that God made a covenant with Abraham out in the field, from the time his sacrifice was offered, from the time that Abraham looked up into the stars and the heavens, and God said to Abraham, how many stars do you see? So shall it be the number of offspring that you're going to have. I will make, you, make of you a great nation, Abraham. Now, all of us have had news that has brought us to the point where we've staggered. You've had bad news, and you stagger. It could be death of a loved one brings you to a point where you say, God, I cannot stay on my feet. I'm, I'm picking up a heavy load. I cannot carry this load. And we, we stagger in the middle of it. And that you, we get that idea. We, we go this way, we go this way. We stagger in the midst of the, the heavy load that's laid upon us. Or maybe you get a diagnosis from a doctor. It's not the diagnosis that you want, not by any stretch. And you understand that now you've got a battle ahead of you that has to do with your health. And so you, you stagger under the load. Maybe it's like, um, I thought I had everything together financially, and I thought all my plans were in place. And all of a sudden, there's a great loss that takes place in your life. And, uh, you know, we look back at the Great Depression that happened back there nearly 100 years ago now, 85 years ago, way back yonder with the Great Depression. And you heard about millionaires that had been millionaires one day, and now all they had was paper in their hand. They jumped out the windows. What was going on? They were staggering under the load of the news that they had received. But the Bible says concerning Abraham that he staggered not through unbelief. And sometimes we waver. You make a decision, you're going to go down this road, this is what you're going to do, and uh, don't talk to Betty about this, because every now and then I find a shortcut, and those boxes on your phone that tell you how to go a certain direction, they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> so you just take a shortcut, and you're about 12 miles into this shortcut, and you're thinking, I, you waver, did I make the right decision? You say, well, I never did anything like How many of you started college and changed majors before you finished college? Yeah, see, that just happens. Some of you changed majors several different times in that 20 years that you were in college. You're just, you're always wavering. You're trying to make a decision. And, and, and so you might be, uh, some pastors, they change their mind. They get, they get somewhere to somewhere. They think, uh, this is where I need to be. And then they realize this is not where I need to be. And so uh, I, a well-known preacher in our nation, I'm not even going to call his name. He was called years ago to go to a church in Florida, and he never did get there. 
He'd set a date several months out in advance. It's a dangerous thing to do, Brother Brad. He'd set a date several months out in advance when he would be free in his schedule to come and pastor this church. And before he ever got there, he called the whole thing off. And his answer was, when they said, why are you doing this to us? He said, well, a broken engagement is better than a bad marriage. He just figured the thing wasn't going to work. And so he called it off. And so whether you look at it as being staggering, whether you look at it as being wavering, here's this thing with Abraham. And it's, and it's like this with a lot of people in the Bible. We read the Bible. We read it in a very compressed manner. I mean by that, you think, well, this happened today, and this happened the next day, and this happened the next day, and this happened the next day, this happened the next day. So Abraham is over in Haran, Iran. God calls him in Genesis chapter 12. He doesn't go all the way to the promised land. He comes to Ur of the Chaldees. By the time one decision comes to the next decision, time passes. And then the next decision, God calls him out of Ur of the Chaldees, and God makes him a promise, I'll make of you a great nation. You think, okay, God's going to make of him a great nation. So he's a great nation about to arrive. The word Abram means father of many. I just see Abraham, wealthy man, cattle and sheep and goats and all that, many servants, many slaves. I just kind of see when the people are coming through on their caravans, coming out of the east, going down to Africa, they got to go by Abraham's front door. They sit down around the fire in the evening, and they ask Abraham, they, they know his name is Abram, and they ask one of the servants while Abram's not sitting there with them, Abram, how many does this father of many how many children does he have? I mean, Old Testament names meant something. You name the father of many, how many children do you have? He didn't have any children. I think perhaps in the household servants we're talking about that fact. Whose problem is this? Is it Abraham's problem? Is it Sarah's problem? Why? Who is barren? Who is infertile? Why doesn't, if he is the father of many, why doesn't he have any children? And yet the Bible says, he wavered not through unbelief. And the reason he didn't waver through unbelief is because Abraham's faith was true. You see, it's not about the degree of your faith. It's not about the amount of your faith. It's not about the measure of your faith. It is about the object of your faith. And I don't find that Abraham believed a lot Abraham had awesome faith. Abraham had fantastic faith. What I find is the Bible says Abraham believed God. Hello, this is Monty Schenkel, and we sure appreciate you listening to this podcast. This is a new effort on our part from Take Heart Ministry. A little over a year ago, we began Take Heart Ministry with the intention of telling people by means of radio and also the internet and now by podcast that they can take heart because Jesus cares for them. 
If you'd like to know more about us, if you'd like to check our ministry out, you can go to takeheart.org. If you would like to personally contact me, you can write to Monty Schenkel or you can write to mschenkel at takeheart.org. Thank you for listening and now back to the podcast. Several years ago, we were coming back from Romania. A group of us had been over there. You've heard me tell the story of how I sat down by a young lady or a young lady sat down by me, but we didn't have any choice. There we sat. And somewhere over the Atlantic, we began to talk about this whole thing of faith and believing, and she's talking about that she needed to be baptized and, and talking about faith and how to understand faith. And I, the only thing I could tell her was, it's not that I have to have a whole lot of faith. I get on an airplane, and people will say to you, have a good flight. And I always reply this very same thing. It's not important that I have a good flight. Kids around you be screaming, and you're eating plastic food, and and that's with plastic utensils, but plastic food too, the whole deal. And so, but it's not important that I have a good flight, but that man or that woman that's in that cockpit, it's very important they have a good flight. Because they have a good flight, it's all good. We get on the ground, it's all good. Griffith Thomas said, God's ability is the foundation of faith's stability. God's ability is the foundation of faith's stability. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, said, having faith in God is equal to holding on to the faithfulness of God. The issue is not how much faith you have. The issue is how big a God we have. We're holding on to the faithfulness of God because, you see, he staggered not at unbelief. It was not unbelief. There was not unbelief there in his heart. He had a true, a true faith in God. I love uh, John Phillips, a great commentator, and he wrote these words. He said, he weighed the human impossibility of becoming a father against the divine impossibility of God being able to break his word and decided that if God was God, then nothing was impossible. The issue is not whether or not his faith might falter. The issue is that he had faith in a God who would not falter. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to deliver. There's that word able. It takes me, it reminds me, not of Cain and Abel, but it reminds me of the three Hebrew children who stood outside Nebuchadnezzar's furnace, and they were about to be cast into the fiery furnace, and... They said, whether or not God will deliver us, we don't know, but we know he is able to, and we will not bow down and worship your God. In this case, the Bible says his, his body was as good as dead. Sarah's body was as good as dead, and his God was able. It says here in verse 17, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which not as though they are, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which is spoken, so shall thy seed be. So here's what we have. We have a hope against hope. We have a body that is dead that needs to be resurrected. His body, Sarah's body. 
Not one ounce of life is left in those who don't know Christ as their Savior. There's not one ounce of life in you if you've never trusted Christ. And you would, we'd look at you and say, it is impossible that you could ever live. It's impossible that you would ever have this kind of hope. But in Jesus Christ, the dead can rise again. Your faith needs to be true. Not only was Abraham's faith true, Abraham's faith was tested, obviously. Not fully seen or known Faith is not fully seen or known until it's tested. You don't really know how much faith you have until it's been put to the test. And, and, and we would think that the hardest thing in life that we run up against is when we realize our own inability and we realize our need to be saved and we call upon the Lord and then there is instantaneous salvation like that, that's the, that's the greatest measure of faith as you face that test. But let me tell you, when you move from instant salvation to slow sanctification over a long period of time, that also requires faith. You think the greatest thing in faith is when I come to know Jesus Christ, my Savior. That's an awesome thing. That's a wonderful thing. But I'm saying over the long period of time to walk with the Lord, your faith is going to be tested. Reckoned righteousness becomes revealed righteousness in our lives. We begin to become the thing that we possess on the inside. What's down in the well begins to come out in the bucket. But it takes time. Look at Abraham's life. Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 13, Genesis chapter 14, Genesis chapter 15. God makes a promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, then there's Genesis chapter 16, and then Genesis chapter 17, and God moves over a long period of time. Abraham maybe goes through his 30s expecting a child, his 40s expecting a child, his 50s, his 60s, his 70s, he's 80. You think his faith is not being put to the test over a long period of time? Genesis chapter 17, verse 19 says, And God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. So with Abraham, over time, through trials, with tenacity, Abraham just kept believing, believing God, believing the one who made the promise. Trials are going to come. Testing happens in everybody's life. Some of you this morning, you're going through some of the biggest tests you've ever experienced in your life. Maybe you're going through loneliness. Never what you thought would be a test, but it is a test. Maybe you're going through sickness. Don't waver through unbelief. God, who took Abraham from Genesis 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. God, who spoke the words that you're going to have a son and go to call his name Isaac, even at the point where Sarah laughed. They, they had their own plans. They tried their own ways. It's not saying that they didn't have wavering in their life, but it is saying they did not waver through unbelief. Can I tell you a secret? If, if, if you know this is true, many of you, 
You say, well, the further I go in my walk with the Lord, the easier it's going to get. It is not true. The tests get bigger. When T.T. Martin wrote God's Way with Men, and he talked about the whole measure of testing in our lives and how things come and troubles come and trials come, and we have the impression that by the time we hit age 60 or age 70 or age 80, then you know all those problems we had back there when we were just a young pup, we don't have to worry about those anymore. And all that, let me tell you, every set of problems, every bit of testing gives way to a bigger test. It's the process of development in our life so that the best day that Abraham would have in his life would be the last day that Abraham would have in his life. That's how God works in our life. He's in the process of growing us. Our our faith must be true because our faith will be tested. And then Abraham's faith was triumphant. His greatest test was yet to come. So God says, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to call him Isaac. You know, Abraham and Sarah, they'd, they'd, Sarah had come up with this plan. Abraham didn't disagree with it. Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham and said, you two go make a child. And they did, and they called him Ishmael. But that's not God's plan. Isaac was God's plan. And so Isaac was given to them. Now, everything's just rolling along. He has this son, he has Ishmael, and everything seems to be going pretty good. And then God lays before Abraham the greatest test that Abraham ever faced. More than all those years had passed without a child. God said to Abraham, I want you to take your son, your own... By the way, he said this, Genesis chapter 22, Take thou thy son, thy only son, Isaac. Go to the mountains of Moriah and offer him there before me. His body was old, his body was dead, yet God promised a child, and God did it. Sarah was old, her womb was dead, God promised a child, and God did it. Dr. John Phillips said, we look at all that went on in Abraham's life, we find down there in Haran, God discovers his man, and in Ur of Chaldees, God detaches his man, and there in Israel, God develops his man, but then finally on Mount Moriah, God displays his man. Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, and go to the mountains of Moriah and there him off. It was there, offer him up. It was there on Mount Moriah that Abraham's faith is fully on display. He obeyed God. Many of us have imagined through the years what that must have been like. Isaac was obviously old enough to to know that something strange was going on because he said, "Here's, uh, here's the wood and Here's the, here's the fire. Where is the sacrifice? And Abraham very prophetically said, My son, God will provide a sacrifice. You know, we're given some insight into this in that if God could raise up the body of an old man like Abraham, 90-plus years old, and an old woman like Sarah, if God could raise up those two dead bodies... 
Abraham is speaking very prophetically here in that God can raise the dead. And it's like someone said, and I don't know, maybe this could be true, not trying to read into something, the text it's not there. But Abraham takes Isaac to offer him on Mount Moriah, believing that he will come back with Isaac. He must have been believing that he's going to follow through. And he was going to follow through on what God was asking him to do, believing that God would raise Isaac from the dead. It's a thought. Consider it. Think about it. But this is where he triumphs. God stays his hand. God grabs him by the wrist. God stops the knife from going into Isaac's body. On the very same mountain that some thousands of years later, there would hang one on a cross, the only Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and God did not spare his son that day. He spared Isaac, but he didn't spare Jesus. But there is such a connection there. As we stand and look at Calvary, we must not waver at unbelief. We must not stagger through unbelief. We must look at Calvary and understand what took place with Isaac on Mount Moriah is now taking place with Jesus on Mount Calvary. There's such a picture here of one who did not hold back his son and one who, who held was, his son was withheld so that he was not sacrificed. God did not hold back his only son, but God is also doing something there that is found right here in Romans chapter 4, and that is God taking something from death to life again in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when God works into our heart to bring us out of our dead condition, of our death uh, in this old world, our death through sin, the wages of sin being death, when God works in our heart to bring us into life again, that suddenly there is a resurrection, a bigger resurrection than in Abraham's life or a Sarah's life or an Isaac's life, that God would raise us up out of our dead lives that we might have eternal life through his resurrected son. What a Savior! He did not stagger. Abraham did not stagger. He did not waver. But in this one thing, please don't waver. Be like Abraham who simply believed God. Job expressed out of his deep despair, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. What a profession of faith in that Job believed God. And believing God is what matters. To have a God like we have, to have such an awesome God, an awesome Savior, beyond words, beyond any description, to have a God such as this, who says the only thing that you must do is believe me. Do you realize what a slam it is against God when someone does not believe him? Such a wonderful God, such, so much integrity there, so much love there, so much grace there. And all he says is, don't waver by not believing me. Believe me. And when a person believes God, it's not just believing in God, not just believe the existence of God. I've heard so many people through the years have said, well, yeah, I believe in God. Big hairy rooster. The demons believe and tremble. Yeah, I believe in, in God. Believing in God, what's that amount to? I believe in God. 
No, folks, we believe the very word of God. We believe the very promise of God. We believe the very work of God. We believe the very cross that God planted on a hill called Calvary. We believe the very tomb that God opened on Easter Sunday morning. We believe God, and we believe that when we believe God, it is counted to, him, to us for righteousness. And we triumph in that. Thank you for listening to this podcast today. We appreciate you tuning in. We pray that this has been a blessing to you. And I pray that today you in your own heart can take heart because you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. And Jesus came to be the Savior of all who would call upon him. And if today you've never trusted in him, I encourage you to say, Lord Jesus, come into my life, forgive me and save me. And God's Word says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our purpose in all of this is to encourage you to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to grow in Jesus, and to take heart in Jesus. He cares for you.